All right, we're back in the book of Romans, chapter number 12. The book of Romans, chapter number 12. Uh, For clarity's sake, we're going to read verse number 9 down through the remaining portion of the chapter. But we're going to be looking at specifically verse number 9 and verse number 10 this evening. Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 9, the Bible said, Let love be without dissimulation. Arbor uh, that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one toward another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. This, this disturbing uh, to the necessity, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and, not, and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be here. The opportunity you've given us to gather around your word. Lord, we pray that In our presence this evening, may you illuminate your word. May you shed that light upon your word that each of us need as individuals. And Lord, may you also do what we stand in need of corporately as a group of believers. I pray that you would do in our midst that that only you can do and speak to the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As I've said, we're going to be looking at verse number 9 and verse number 10, and we're going to consider the thought of sincere love. Sincere love. When sin entered this world, its immediate effect was to damage relationships. That was the immediate effect. You and I looked some at that and considered, maybe not that thought, but considered relationships this morning, our relationship to God. That was one of the relationships that was affected, but not only that, Adam and Eve were 
instantly separated from God whose fellowship they had formerly enjoyed. But guilt prompted them to try to hide from Him and they were also suddenly estranged from each other. Uh, They had spent time in the garden during the time, however lengthy that time may have been, uh, some believe it may have been a day, some believe not even a day. Uh, whatever time you may want to put on it, whatever time period you may want to put on it, understand that they dwelled together in nakedness and were not ashamed. There was no shame before them. But once sin entered into the world, when the disobedience of Adam entered into this world and centered into the hearts, sin entered into the hearts of men, at that point they became aware of their nakedness. And they tried to put together fig leaves to cover themselves, but what were they covering? They were covering uh, that revelation of themselves to each other. It was a division between them that was placed there. There was the division that was placed there between man and God, but there was also the division that was placed there between Adam and Eve. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 and also in chapter 3 and verse number 7. Sin always damages relationships. Doesn't matter what it may be, sin damages relationships. It causes divisions to be put between those that are immediately around whatever sin that may be. So the whole thrust of the Bible is to show us how we can and should love God with our total being and love one another in the fact of our love toward God. To love God, we must first understand that He loved us. We must understand that God loved us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 19 tells us that. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 tells us, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You and I understand that He died for us in while we were yet sinners. There was divisions there and it is the the thrust of the Bible to rebuild those relationships. What God worked toward in our lives was reconciliation. Bringing that relationship back into being. Believing the gospel reconciles us to God. And as it reconciles us to God, it floods our hearts with His love that He has toward us. And if it floods our hearts with His love that He has toward us, it effectively causes us to love one another. Because that love is compounding in our life. Because that love has been placed in our life. And it is a lifelong battle for us to love one another. Why is that? Because we still carry this dead man around. 
And this dead man, whether you understand it, and I say that sarcastically, but whether you understand it or not, this dead man is considered mo- is is concerned most after himself. He's not concerned so much so with others. He's concerned for himself. Uh, that's the change that takes place in our life when we are born again. We began to love one another. Before that, we loved only one, and that was ourselves. We were only concerned about one. So we understand that there is a self-sacrifice that takes place when you and I are born again. We become more concerned with others than we are with ourselves. One of the most practical tests on whether Christ is truly Lord is seen in the fact of relationships. It's seen in the building of those relationships. And not only the relationship with others, but the relationship that we have with God. Sacrificial, transformed lives cause us or calls us to love others sincerely. I say sacrificial, transformed lives because the commands of chapter number 12, verse number 9, down through verse number 21 are built on the foundation of chapter 12, verse number 1 and verse number 2. It is verse number 1 and verse number 2 which builds what we see in verse number 9 down through verse number 21. At the heart of everything is the mercies of God. It's the mercies of God that are revealed to us. It's the mercies of God that are shown to us. It's the mercies of God that you and I experience. And Paul spelled that out in chapter 1 through chapter number 11. And now we come to chapter number 12 and verse number 9 through verse number 21 and we find out what... He has said about chapter 1 through chapter number 11, based on God's mercies, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's what God calls us to do. Then you're not to be conformed to this age. We're to be transformed. And we looked at all of that. We're transformed how? We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. How are our minds renewed? Our minds are renewed by looking at the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to do those things in our life that need to be done. Before we walk into and through verse number 9 and verse number 10, note that consistently throughout the New Testament, love is not an uncontrollable feeling. It is a command of God. Let me say that again. Before we start walking through verse number 9 and verse number 10, understand that love is not an uncontrolled feeling. You ask people, how do you know you love that person? Well, I just feel like I love them. Well, that feeling may go away. But true, genuine love is still there whether the feeling's there or not. 
And we need to understand that it is not an uncontrolled feeling that we see. It is that that God commands us to do. It is a command to be obeyed. God tells us that we are to love one another. Does He not? He tells us that we are to love one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to lift each other up. We're to pray for one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. And those are commands that God gives us. And we are to do that whether we feel like it or don't feel like it. And if we're a child of God and God is at work in our life, we will do so. We will have those things working in our life. The supreme demonstration of Jesus' love was when He went to the cross and bore the wrath of God on my behalf. What did Jesus pray just before He went to the cross? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. What cup? The cup of the wrath of God. If it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. But not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus prayed that as the perfect man on the face of the earth. He was praying, Father, if there was any other way, let it be so. But if it's not and it isn't, then not my will, but thy will be done. He was submitting himself. And he was submitting himself because of the love that He had for us. Why did He bleed and die? He bled and died on the cross of Calvary. He suffered the wrath of God on our behalf because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. A new commandment I give you is what Jesus said. That you love one another even as I have loved you, also love one another. That's what God tells us. That's what God instructs us and that's what God gives us as the children of God. He did what He did in obedience to the Father and based on the self-sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are to be followers of Christ in loving one another. It is a self-sacrifice, caring commitment that shows itself in the seeking of the good for others above themselves. You and I are not to seek out to live out our lives. We're to seek out to live lives that benefit those around us. We're to be caring more about what their welfare is than it what our welfare is. So with that in mind, I want us to look at verse number 9 and verse number 12, and I'm going to give you four different things this evening, the Lord being our helper. Biblical love must be without hypocrisy. Biblical love must be without hypocrisy. Look at what he says in verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. There are words that Paul uses here. He uses the word abhor that that is evil and cleave to that which is good. 
Paul would not have written that unless he knew there was a strong tendency even among believers to put on a mask of love. To put on that that covering that we love, but not fully loving because we were not selflessly loving those around us. There are people in our lives that are just hard to deal with. Would you agree? I mean, every one of us have those people. And by the way, just as much as we have those people that are hard to deal with, around some other people, we may be hard to deal with. They may not want to be around us, but we are to love one another. And we're to do it in such a way as not to put a mask on. It's not to be in hypocrisy, if you will. The epitome of love with hypocrisy was when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. That was the the epitome of hypocrisy. Judas walks up to the Lord Jesus Christ and with an affectionate kiss, kisses Him on the cheek. All the while, he was selling Him out to those that wanted to do Him harm. He showed that display of what the world would consider love. He showed that emotion, if you will, of what the world would say was his love for Christ. But all the while in his heart, he was selling out the Lord Jesus Christ and causing those that wanted to do the Christ harm to know who Christ was. I find that interesting when I think about that thought. I I think about as they came up into the crowd, many of those that were seeking Christ had no doubt never laid eyes on Him because they did not know Him in a crowd. They required Judas to go up and kiss His cheek. Jesus knew all of this was going to take place and He told them all of that. But understand this, Paul is calling us to be sincere in our love from our heart. The English word sincere, if we use the English word sincere, it comes from two Latin words meaning without wax. It means without wax. Dishonest merchants who would fill the cracks in pots with wax And then they would glaze over them so that when the person took the pot home, it would not be until they applied heat to the pot that the wax would melt, the cracks would be there, and the pot was no good. That word sincere means without wax. It means there is no covering up of the the malice. There's no covering up of the... the, unwillingness to be selfless towards someone else, there was nothing covering that up. It, it's sincere love. It is, uh, most, uh, most of those dealers during that day would stamp on the pot. They would stamp the words sincerea on the pot to verify that it was without wax. It's almost like us seeing something that says 100%. 
They could see that that pot was without wax. And if it was, didn't have that sinceria on it, then most people wouldn't buy it because they were afraid that someone would have put wax on it. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that our biblical love that you and I have for one another has to be without hypocrisy. We don't just love one another while we're around each other. And in the meantime, while we're away from each other, we're talking behind each other's back. That's what Paul was talking about. That, that he, he mentioned here in verse number 9, let love be without dissimulation. Arbor, or harbor uh, that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. We weren't to be, there wasn't to be any hypocrisy about that love that they had for one another. The word was used of, of masks that were used by actors on stage during that time. There were some that would have a sad face, some would have a happy face. And that same word was used about them. The Apostle John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 15 through verse number 18. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned already, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the Son of God. And I think I put down John chapter 3 and verse number 15 through 18. Let's turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 15 down through verse number 18. The Bible tells us here, Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. And he and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. There's that eternal life that we talked about this morning. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso, whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And then he tells us, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So John is telling us that we are to love one another. Biblical love must be wise and discerning. Always keeping in mind the higher good of the loved one that we're showing love to. It may not be for that person's highest good to give them money. Sometimes there, there may be Maybe that need to get out of a situation. And it's maybe not for their highest good to get them out of that situation. Their highest good ought to be. That that would be showing love Uh, to them is to help them in the situation that, that we're looking at the highest good. So Paul points to this that your motive must always be sincere. 
It's not to be a motive of hypocrisy. It's to seek the person's conformity to the image of Christ. Our, our dealing with our spouse, our dealing with parents, our dealing with children, our dealing with those that are our co-workers, our dealing with them should always be to their conformity to Christ. What is it that I can do for them What is it that I can do around them that will help them be conformed to the image of Christ? And by the way, may I just stop and say here that God places spouses together for a purpose. And that is to help each other be conformed to the image of Christ. He doesn't necessarily put us together for all the... the, fuzzy feelings. He puts us together so that we are conforming one another to the image of Christ. That thing that your spouse does that irritates you to death, God may have them doing that to conform you to the image of Christ. And that goes either direction. That is our purpose. Our purpose being together as a group corporately corporately together is to conform each other to the image of Christ. If there are times that we need to be called out, call us out so that we can be conformed to the image of Christ. And thereby you're demonstrating love for each other because you're aiding each other being conformed to the image of Christ. So let not your love be a love with hypocrisy. Uh, It's not just a... It's not just a love that is to uh, make them feel good about everything. It is a love that is to help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. By the way, as far as I know, the Bible never commands us to like everyone. But the Bible does command us to love everyone. You don't have to like somebody to love them. But if you like them, you love them. What are you saying? I'm saying that just because we do not like somebody doesn't mean that we're not commanded to love them. They may be, they may be the most irritating person in your life. But you and I are commanded to love them. And we're to com- commanded to display that love to them. It's one basis of forming close friendships. But loving those I may not choose to like may not make a friendship, but it will make someone that can trust me and trust that I love them. Number two, not only does biblical love, is it without hypocrisy, but biblical love must be holy. It must be holy. It tells us here in the latter part of verse number 9, to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. In the Greek text, abhor and cling are participles that show how love is without hypocrisy. How it operates. Abhorring evil and cleaving to that which is good. 
Paul's words obviously imply that there is an objective, a notable standard, if you will, of what is evil and what is good. If Paul is telling us to abhor evil and to uh, cleave to that which is good, he's telling us there is a difference. There are those differences. This, this standard does not change with the times. It does not change with the cultures. God revealed His holy standard of right and of wrong in His Word, and He does not change His Word. He changes it for no one. For example, if His Word states that a sin or a behavior is sinful, it does not change when the public opinion of that sinful thing changes. Just because the world says that it is not wrong anymore does not mean that God changed His mind. God's Word is God's Word and will always be God's Word. And God means what He says and says what He means and leaves no Leave no gray spots in the middle. So if God calls it sin, it is sin. And if you and I are going to show biblical love to someone, we must show them biblical love by telling them what God's Word says about what they're in in their life. That does not mean that we do it in a hateful way. But it does mean we must be honest to the Scripture. We must be honest to what the Word of God says. And this is something that we need to understand. Where the Bible speaks on something, let us be clear to speak what the Bible speaks. But where the Bible is silent on something, let us be careful to be silent. There are things that we say sometimes or things that uh, maybe we've heard around us that when we look in Scripture, they're not there. I mentioned something to Brother Charles of someone that I was talking to this week and they were telling me of them going somewhere and they said for the six or seven weeks that they went to that church, everything that was preached on Sunday morning was that if you did not love God like you ought to love God, or if you did love God like you ought to love God, you'd be back on Sunday night. Or if you love God like you ought to love God, you'd be back on Wednesday night. Well, first of all, you're not going to find that in Scripture. And if you are preaching Scripture, you're not going to preach that. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about there are things that we say sometimes if we're not careful and we don't look back at the Word of God, we're going to say some things sometimes that are not scriptural. We will not find them in Scripture. But where God is plain in what He says, let us be plain in how we represent what God says. We must be, our love must be a holy love. If God said it, it is so. But if God 
is silent on the matter, let us be silent on that matter also. We are to detest and to hate that which God calls sin. He said we are to eschew evil. He tells us in this passage of Scripture that we are to abhor evil. And we're to cleave to that which is good. What is God's instruction? You and I as the children of God, you and I in the love that we show to one another, we are to abhor that which is evil and we are to cleave to that which is good. Paul instructs instructs us in Philippians chapter 4 verse number 8. Paul says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. There's not much else we can add to that. Paul said, finally, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Paul instructs us that we are to be holy in our love for one another. We must hold tightly to that which is good because the enemy is always trying to loosen our grip on that which is good. Always trying to turn down a degree that which is good in our lives. So we know that brotherly love must be not only without hypocrisy, but it must be holy. And we understand, number three, that biblical love must be a brotherly love. Look in verse number 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. We're to show affection one to another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Paul uses... The word Philadelphia, which refers to that natural love among brothers and adds another word that refers to a family affection. We are to love one another. We're to care for one another. We're to care for the well-being of those around us. But even so much more so those that are of the household of faith. Is that not what the Bible tells us? We're to love one another, but so much more those that are the household of faith. You and I are to love one another. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out that it never works to approach the emotions directly. Rather, he says, feelings are always a result of something else. The result ultimately of understanding and of thought. Our feelings should be the result of that thought, that understanding of where people are. He points out that if we just put on a cloak of feelings, which we do not have, it would be sheer hypocrisy. 
We don't just put on feelings that we do not have, but rather we must go back to the doctrines that Paul exposed us to in Romans chapter number 1 through Romans chapter number 11. And he does this. He gives us those instructions so that when we come to these verses, we can have a greater understanding of what he's telling us here. Then we realize that by the mercies of God, we have been born into his family. And doing so, those that are part of the household of faith have been born into the family by those same mercies. And you and I should show brotherly love to each other in that manner. Understand not only that it is brotherly love, but understand, fourth of all, understand biblical love must be selflessly humble. It must be selflessly humble. Look at what he says in the latter part of verse number 10. In honor preferring one another. In honor preferring one another. Give preference one to another in honor. The Greek word translated give preference means to lead or to go before, thus to set an example. You and I, if we love one another, we're going to lead by example. We're not just going to tell somebody this is what the Word of God says and yet we're going to do something totally opposite. We're going to, uh, for, for lack of a better term, we're going to practice what we preach. Yes. And if we do not practice what we preach, then we are not operating in brotherly love that is selflessly humble. We are not to seek honor for ourselves, but rather genuinely rejoice when others receive honor. How many times have we had that Green-eyed monsters sometimes crawl up on our shoulder when one may get recognition that another may not get. Yes. That's not the way that we... That, that's not practicing that kind of love that Paul is talking about here. He tells us in the latter part, in honor preferring one another. We're to be preferring. We should be happy. We should be excited that God is doing things in another person's life. Amen. That we see them growing. That we see things going on in their life. That we can clearly see God is working in their life. We need to be clear that Paul is not saying that we should set aside our gifts. Or our knowledge and practice in a kind of mock humility where we say, I am nothing, I am nobody. <laughs> Sometimes people have that mock humility where uh, they, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, but yet they want to be staged up instead of upstaged or they want to be set in higher places. It's that, it's that selfless humility that we need to uh, display in our love to one another. When Paul says giving preference one to another in honor, he does not mean that we should deny our gifts or our knowledge. He means that we should have true 
a true estimate of ourselves. We should not overestimate ourselves or underestimate others. But we are, in fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul recognized that it was only by the grace of God that he was who he was. In conclusion this evening, I want you to, think, I want you to consider these four thoughts. How do we grow in this sincere love for one another? First of all, we instantly judge our selflessness and anger as sin and ask for God's forgiveness. If we find ourselves being centered around ourselves, we confess that as sin and we set it aside and we move forward. Second, we focus on God's love for you and me at the cross. If we focus on His love and His sacrificial love, then we will display that sacrificial love through loving others. Third, we walk moment by moment in submission and independence of the Holy Spirit. You and I do not need to get to the point to where we know that we know something and because we know that we know it, we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. We're always in need of the Holy Spirit of God. For me to come in and stand before you and try to give you a knowledge that I know but not implore the Holy Spirit of God to help me and to aid me in displaying and putting out that knowledge is a, is a grave problem in my life. And we should not be that way. As we teach things that we may know, we should still understand that we need the help of the Holy Spirit of God. And if it wasn't for the help of the Holy Spirit of God, no one will understand what we are saying from Scripture. God may have given you a truth, but as you display that to others, it is the Holy Spirit of God that conveys that to them. God uses you as a tool. God uses me as a tool. But it is not we ourselves that convey that thought. It is the Holy Spirit of God that plants it in the heart of people. So we understand that we need to walk moment by moment in submission and independence of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we should memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. In fact, let's turn over there real quickly and let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 4 down through verse number 7. The Bible tells us here, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. Or is not easily provoked thinking no evil. 
Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall be vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. You and I know that we need that charity that God's talking about. That God tells us. They are in that passage of Scripture, that charity is not a charity of hypocrisy. It's not a charity that is, is upholding evil and putting down good. It is, a, it is a charity that is abhorring evil and is cleaving to that which is good. It is a charity that is devoted to one another in brotherly love and it is one that gives preference one to another. That love is the love that God's telling us about in chapter number 12 and verse number 9 and verse number 10. And that is the kind of love that you and I as the children of God should have displayed in our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for the truths that we see in Your Word. We ask You now, Lord, that You would help us and enable us to make those Scriptures a reality in our life. I pray, Lord, that You would enable us, cause us to think upon these things, as Paul told us in Philippians, that we would think upon these things, that we would practice these things in our life, and help us to have a sincere love for one another and for the things that God instructs us to love. In Jesus' name we pray.